0: I have an epic episode for you today, so epic in fact that it has been split up into two parts, so you will get part one in this episode and part two will be next episode. I thought that would just be easier than putting it all into a ridiculously long show. Today I am chatting with Dr. Stephanie Rimka, who is a holistic brain optimization specialist who focuses on integrated neurotherapies to identify And address the root cause of mental illness, learning disorders, and chronic illness. She has over 25 years of learning the best practices in functional medicine from masters in their fields, and she built Brain and Body Solutions as the premier brain based disorder healing facility in Atlanta. She Deals with all things related to brain therapies, brain imaging, biofeedback, functional nutrition, epigenetics, cognitive testing, nutrient therapy, psychology, chelation, detox, chiropractic, and Chinese medicine. I love Dr. Rimka because she has a super unique style where she incorporates Intuition and the spiritual side of things, as well as the sciencey, geeky, in depth research side of things. She is super focused on bio individuality and she covers everything from nutrition to EMFs and toxin exposure, lifestyle, everything. She is amazing and she's such a badass. And I first found her on Instagram because she is an advocate for the carnivore lifestyle. And I always am interested seeing women in the space talking about the carnivore diet because I feel like it is predominantly a male community. There are plenty of women, but I think that the men have a stronger voice. And so that's how she caught my attention. She is super outspoken, so incredibly intelligent, and super confident, great energy, just a total badass. And I started checking out more of her work and what she was up to and realized how many incredible things she is interested in and love that she has such a focus on on brain health and chronic illness, mental illness, really complicated cases. So she is my kind of woman and I am super, super excited for you to hear this conversation that went on for so long. I could talk to her for ages and I want to have her back on the show I just need to dive into her brain more and more. So I split this up into two parts. So the next episode, not today's episode, the next episode is going to be more about the carnivore nutrition side of things. This episode is going to be focused a bit more on neurofeedback, Alzheimer's, chronic illness, EMFs, 5G... And a bit about the spirituality side of things, the connection between nutrition and spirituality. So I think you are going to find this very, very interesting. I love that she gets into all of the biohacks. And we talk a lot about protecting ourselves against EMFs. And I think when you go into this whole world, you realize, you know, 5G EMFs, light exposure. And this is why I am so adamant that you guys get a pair of blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses, because it is such... A simple biohack to optimize your circadian rhythm, protect your sleep, and help to balance out your hormones. Blue light blocking glasses are amazing for getting better sleep, deeper sleep. If you have trouble winding down at night, falling asleep, definitely put these on because the blue light exposure is probably keeping you up, as well as reducing headaches throughout the day, eliminating digital eye strain, having more energy during the day, regulating your hunger signals. It's even connected to weight management. We talk all about this on episode 230 with light expert Andy Mant. I was using blue blockers for years but did not get the full benefits until I switched to blue blocks because their lenses are tested to make sure that they cover the complete blue and green light spectrum that needs to be blocked in order for you to get the benefits. These are completely backed by science. Their Sleep Plus Red Lens is the lens everyone needs. You put these on every evening when the sun goes down and this will help support your sleep and get you into a much deeper sleep, produce any anxiety, relax you. Everyone needs these red lenses. And then during the day, I use the Blue Light Clear Lens, which is great for people who work in more natural lighting and this can just help prevent digital eye strain, any migraines or headaches. If you work in harsher artificial lighting during the day if you're in an office, or if you struggle with seasonal depression, then you would want to check out the summer glow. Those are the yellow lenses. That's blue light blocking meets color therapy. We need to block different spectrums of blue and green light during the day than we do at night in order to optimize our circadian rhythm. And they have a ton of different styles to choose from, up to 20 different frames. So you will definitely find one that you love. They're fashionable so they don't look weird. I always get compliments on my glasses. Actually, whenever I go out, I wear my blue light and people always ask me where my glasses are from. And you can also send in your own frames if you want or have them make a custom-made prescription for you. And the best part is for every pair of glasses Blue Blocks sells, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision who will gift them to someone in need. So if you want to check out... Blue blocks blue light blocking glasses, which you need to because easiest biohack ever, and you will definitely notice a difference. Just go to blueblocks.com. That's b l u b l o x.com and use my code wellness w e l l n e s s for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com b l u b l o x.com and use that code wellness w e l l n e s s for 15% off. So if you want to learn more about different biohacks and dive deeper into brain health, optimizing your brain health, root cause of brain-related disease, then you will definitely be interested in today's episode with Dr. Stephanie Rimka. And you can find more from her on Instagram at Dr. Rimka and on her websites, which are brainandbodyrevolution.org and brainandbodysolutions.com. So let's go ahead and hop into this interview with Dr. Stephanie Rimka. Thank you so much, Dr. Rimka, for coming on the podcast. I've been so excited to chat with you. Like I told you, I love all the content you put out on social media and love your work. And I'm very fascinated with all the work you do around brain optimization as well. But for people who aren't familiar with you, can you just give yourself a brief introduction and tell them a little bit about what you do?
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Christina. So I am Dr. Stephanie Remka. I have been practicing for about 20 something years in the healthcare uh, arena. I'm of the holistic and alternative crowd, I guess you would say, even though I consider us just kind of ancient, old-school, primal ways of doing things, but we want to get called holistic by Western medicine all the time. Um, I am a doctor of chiropractic, so I'm a chiropractor. I started off before I came to chiropractic school working in the uh, mental health field, um, kind of debating on where was my next place to go in health whether it was medical school or something else um, and I chose a, the more holistic, vitalistic route of a chiropractor with a mission of helping people with mental illness um, and part of that was brought on by my family and part of that was just brought on uh, by what I was seeing with patients I was dealing with by working um, in and out of some of the Michigan mental health hospitals and uh, group homes with schizophrenics so, I got involved in that, uh, and I really went hard into the brain when uh, my family member, my nephew was diagnosed with autism, and I became board certified in neural feedback. So my practice is always kind of focused on uh, mental health, brain issues, and because of autism, you can look at everything from the like triple burner, Uh, philosophy of Chinese medicine in terms of the gut axis, the heart axis, and the head axis. So I've looked at all three of those things very deeply for over 20 years in various ways, getting training from, you know, emotional heart techniques, whether that's talk therapy or energetic emotional uh, pranic type, you know, chakra, esoteric healing modalities, uh, brain modalities such as neurofeedback and biofeedback and other brain optimization, biohacking of sorts, um, and then all the things related to the gut, because you cannot help people with brain issues without addressing that gut access as well. So that's what my practice has been doing for a very long time. I'm kind of known for helping people that nobody thinks they can help and they think they're hopeless. And I'm not having that on my watch. So I kind of stand for bringing hope to the hopeless, because I don't think um, the story people are being told sold sometimes in healthcare that there's nothing left we can do for you there's no nothing else you just need to go home and deal with this you need to numb it out with these drugs and you're never going to get better I think that's complete and utter bullshit and I'm not having it so that's who I am
0: I love that that's why I like you (laughs) Um, (laughs) so a few things to dive into there first of all I've talked about neurofeedback a bit on the show but maybe for people who haven't listened to those episodes you can share a bit about what neurofeedback is
1: Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, I didn't know you did that. I listened to a couple of podcasts. I miss neurofeedback. Um, so neurofeedback is a, uh, it's a form of biofeedback. So when people hear biofeedback, there's many forms. We can give feedback to the body, whether it's skin temperature, your breathing rate, your heart rate, or your brainwave activity. So I specialize in some heart rate modalities as well as brainwave activity. So we take measurements of the brain, and we basically give that information back to the the brain in real time, and we allow the brain to exercise itself, to regulate itself by adjusting itself. It's like putting a mirror up to the brain and saying, can you see what you're doing? And the brain goes, oh, I had no idea, kind of like if I was trying to put on my lipstick while I'm driving in the car, but if I pulled over and looked in the mirror, it would be a whole lot easier, and my brain would automatically adjust my movements to make it perfect without having to kind of figure it out the best it could without seeing what it was doing. So it's it's brain games. People talk t- talk about it that way. It's a form of um, operant conditioning mm-hmm. that people might know from psychology, where we're helping change an organ through automatic reconditioning responses. But we hook electrodes up to a, to somebody, basically. was a lot of blah, blah blah blah, fancy talk for I put little electrodes on your head painlessly and lay people in this bed and they look at a screen and they either play a game with their mind or make the movie play with their mind that's what I would tell a kid so here's the thing I'm gonna hook this up now you're just gonna make the movie play with your mind okay and they go okay Mm -hmm. and that's it because kids are not gonna ask me a lot of questions and then they're all the unconscious brain activity is gonna take over and the brain will self-regulate and self-correct and if we do that over and over and over again We create new neural pathways and new networks for better function in the brain.
0: So what type of person would really benefit from this? What applications are you using this for? For neural feedback? Yeah.
1: Well, it's everything from A to Z. Let me say that. And I know that's hard for people to sometimes hear, but basically everybody needs a bigger, better, stronger, faster, calmer brain. Mm -hmm. Okay? So everybody can benefit. Like everybody can benefit from meditation. Yeah. Now, As far as conditions that are known to be like, wow, this is really effective, attention concentration deficit issues, um, anxiety, uh, stress management, insomnia, sleep disorders are the easiest in the world with neurofeedback, it's one of the easiest things. So some people might come in 20 years, oh, I'm like, oh, that's not a problem. Sleep is the absolute easiest. Even if you came for anxiety, PTSD, panic disorder, we're gonna help your sleep. Um, it's very common to come for learning issues, um, whether that's ADHD, learning, any, any type of cognitive memory issue, we're very good with that, um, got sleep, panics, kind of you name it almost, but there's also a whole other subset of trauma and, on the flip side, peak performance. I think peak performance is really where it's at with neurofeedback our first step is stabilization. And people are concerned with getting out of pain. Absolutely. You know, there's a symptom, a pain point, some type of suffering, a mom watching your child with ADHD and trying to avoid the medication and the lifelong addiction that that may lend itself to. And instead we say, well, give us two to four months and we can just retrain this brain to make focus waves and decrease those daydream brain waves, and you'll be good to go. Not, not a problem. Um, so that's kind of the heart of it. But once we stabilize that brain, the real fun, the real juicy, meaty stuff that clinicians really like to get into is the peak performance kind of neurospiritual aspect. That's really where the, the magic happens, where you can upregulate someone's brain to such a point that they can get the benefits of 20 years of meditation in four to six months.
0: Wow. I love that. So that's the magic. Yeah. So, so in four to six months, but what about, let's say someone's coming in for um, like anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. How long do you say typically before they might start to see results? Like how long will that take?
1: Okay. Well, the first thing we do, we always do a brain map and we have to assess um, is this anxiety based in a brainwave dysregulation pattern? Is this something I think I can help with that? Mm -hmm. Or is this more of a, is it, is there a more of a structural issue that's nobody discovered and we need to deal with that first um, is, you know, how much is coming from, I look at all of it, how much is coming from the diet? How much is coming from um, something else? So there's a lot that goes into an evaluation, but step one, we do do a QEG, a brain map, and you want to see if their symptoms make sense to what you see in the map. Mm -hmm. And if it does, then we have a much higher probability of saying, yeah, I can help you. And let me give you an idea of how much this is, you know, how long it's going to take. In general, we want to tell everybody, look, the reality is this takes uh, a a number of sessions. It takes 30 to 40 sessions of neurofeedback for it to be permanent. Mm -hmm. So there's no point in coming in and doing six sessions and maybe getting relief. Some people will have relief. And I hate to say this, but it does happen a lot in the first one to three sessions, now relief doesn't mean it's gone, but if somebody is dealing with panic and you get you reduce their anxiety to 50% in in a few sessions, wow, are they happy and excited? Because that's a huge difference in the quality of their life and what they're able to do. That, however, isn't always true. Um, there is this subset of of people of brains, and we don't know why yet, and this is some of where some of the research is going. If we could figure this out, it sure would be great, where it it might take 20 sessions. This is a really poor responding brain. It won't show you anything until this magical moment between 20 and 24, 25 sessions where it's going to jump so fast it's going to look just like the other brains next to it in the practice that have been slowly getting better and better and better at the 25 session mark but they're going to have a, a, a like this catapult and jump and be at the same place but you've got to really have strong focus and tension and confidence and keep them coming and maintaining because sometimes you won't feel it for the first 20 sessions that's a that's a smaller group of people Um, So I do like letter, but we, I'm very clear up front with patients. Like let's, let's set expectations because you certainly, I I don't allow quitting. It's just not going to happen because you are not going to get results. But Mm -hmm. so you might get it in the first few sessions. We don't expect that. Um, but it kind of depends on the level of flexibility and adaptability of that brain. How plastic is that brain? Um, and how stable is it? So some brains are just really, really volatile. If I have a brain that's been starved chronically for years by not getting enough saturated fat, cholesterol, dietary support, enough, um, you know, fat and protein and, and micronutrients to it, well, it's going to be harder to stabilize. So I have to give the substrates at the same time so the brain can actually do what it needs to do um so you know it might be five sessions ten sessions you're, you're gonna typically feel it a little bit of relief pretty quickly you'll have a smaller amount of people that take quite a bit of time
0: okay yeah i was gonna ask you like if there's anything that makes one brain respond better than another but so diet plays a role in that
1: i think them being prepared you know uh, if i have a brain that um you know, has as you can, you know, I'll do an extreme example. Let's say somebody who's been suffering from an eating disorder such as anorexia mm-hmm. for a year, and they come in. Well, and I do refuse neurofeedback clients often if I don't feel the brain is going to receive what's going on. Um, chronic starvation, malnutrition of that brain is it's like hiring, it's like, you know, hiring a bunch of guys to go out and fix a highway and giving them tools, which is what the neurofeedback is. But if I don't give you asphalt and tar and concrete to actually repave the highway, how are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. They're just going to be banging bad, you know, broken down cement around and there's nothing they really have to, to construct with broken materials. So I would prep that person's body and brain through other interventions before I did neurofeedback. There's also drugs and medication that can interfere. Sometimes it's just too powerful. We've had people post-surgery be on uh, narcotics. We won't train them for a while. We're like, well, it's not going to work. Um, if someone's coming in, you know, for anxiety, but they have a cocaine problem that they're hiding from me, you know, that we eventually can see on the map, I'm like, yeah, I we're, this isn't going to work, yeah. you know? can't override that or somebody coming in for attention deficit and they're uh smoking a lot of marijuana well they're by doing that they're making the brain waves that are in attention right so i'm like this isn't going to work while we're doing this we may have to work on something first Mm -hmm. before we get to what they think they're complaining about so it varies on how healthy that person is and and you know, how quickly um, I used younger brains are typically going to respond faster, They're typically healthier. That was always the story of the past. Um, but that's starting to shift to me in practice. Younger brains are starting to look like very old brains because of, a, of, I think, mostly the non-native EMF and the 4G and the 5G and how kids are and their mitochondria. They're being damaged so much more than anybody else has ever seen. Mm-hmm. So kids are not responding the way they used to. Um, I often see my fastest responders being really, really, uh, older clients, the geriatric community, because I think they're just, were so starved for some stimulus Mm -hmm. and have outrageous responses that they have to surprise me more than any brains I've ever seen.
0: It's, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the 5g. Um, I haven't talked about that on the show before. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, it's a, it's a really big problem. And it's this is the thing, you know. Clinicians like me, I've been in a lot of private groups, being trained with other, you know, with physicians and physicists. And it's the thing that you know we're talking about, mumbling about behind closed doors for years now. And now it's here. It's starting. It's really rolling out. And a lot of these increases and issues we're seeing, um, it's going to play a big part in a in a lot of conditions that unfortunately we don't have the greatest solution. So I think a lot of us aren't talking about it yet because we don't want to scare people mm-hmm. and we don't want to make them go to hopeless because it's it's we're asking to change a lot of behaviors and a lot of people don't like to do that. There's some devices, there's some hacks, you know, we're, we're experimenting, we're in the, we're, you know, I buy more devices and experiment with more things and we all ask each other, I did this three-month thing, what changed on your labs? What did this do? You know, there's... The 5G, these non-native EMFs so people don't know we're talking about, these electromagnetic frequencies that are natural in nature, they're supposed to be here. And we're supposed to be our brains and the uh, cells in our body and the little things inside our cells, these little things, especially called mitochondria, these little bacteria pieces that live within us, they're very sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies. And so are a lot of pathogens, Lyme and Epstein-Barr, things like that. They're very, very sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies and radio frequencies that are flying around, you know, in the universe from the sun and, and all the stars and the earth gives things off. And that's all normal and natural. But normally those the electromagnetic frequencies are very, very low frequencies, ultra low and very low in the seven, you know, seven to 10 Hertz kind of a range is things are very low and our, our brains are, you know, kind of supposed to be running on average in that like 25, 30 Hertz, very low. And when you look up what laptops and Wi Fi and microwaves and um th- 3G, 4G, and 5G, the type of, you know, gigahertz and tetrahertz and all these other, it's, it's 10 to the 12 hertz, you know, of what's actually going on, bombarding your cells, bombarding your mitochondria, and bombarding your brain. Mm-hmm. And they're driving people's physiology much faster and than, than it's ever been designed to go.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And just to be clear, could you give some examples of what types of health issues this might be connected with? Um, a lot of these, uh, well, two big categories: mental illness,
1: yeah. suicidal thoughts, for sure. Depression, suicide, suicidal thinking, uh, insomnia. It's driving racing thoughts at night when you try to go to bed. You can never slow down um, because you're you're being entrained with packets of information radio frequencies of information writing very fast and training your brain to go too quickly um also a lot of these mystery illnesses that are going to come up even more autoimmune that we just don't know what to call but autoimmune Mm -hmm. so all these things that are like you know they say it's autoimmune this is autoimmune so you're going to see a lot more of um depressive, insomnia, suicidal thinking and, be- and actions. I think we're already seeing that. There's a lot of speculation from, you know, folks like that I get trained and study under Dr. Jack Cruz that have been studying this and talking and teaching us for a long time about this warning for years. Um, and you're, I think you're going to see a lot of skin and eye issues more and more. The, the eyes and the skin are highly uh, related to each other and the way the emf the non-native emf high frequencies and all the toxic light you know not being in the sunlight deficiency and the artificial lighting toxicity that we live in now um it's really affecting those two systems so you see a lot of vision problems macular degeneration will increase um skin issues rashes um and you know nobody wants to I'm gonna even people are gonna hate me for this one but the number, the increased number, the popularity of tattoos and the amount of heavy metals that are in the tattoos—they act as a uh, kind of an, a, a radio antenna to the 5G. Is going to attenuate stronger. So the people with it, the more tattoos, the more heavy metals you have in you, and that skin is going to attract the 5G like a like a cell tower. Wow. And so, yeah, this the area under the, the tissue underneath there is going to be affected more. And whether or not I'm not sure if it's going to start liberating the the heavy metals. They're going to start traveling more or it's just that tissue is going to be more damaged. I'm not totally sure, but I do suspect you're going to start seeing a lot more mystery fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue type diagnoses, chronic Lyme when they don't know what else to call things Mm -hmm. that fall into that category that, you know, and I think we're going to obviously the autism epidemic is going to continue because people, the children and development fetuses and everything are going to be, very, very vulnerable.
0: Yeah. So if someone feels like, especially sensitive to EMS, is there anything you recommend they do during the day to, to help?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of steps we take. I mean, step one, I don't even know if step one, there's so many steps. So I think One is starting to educate yourself on what is non-native EMF and EMF protection. So simple things, sort of. You can get the smart meter taken off your home. Mm -hmm. Um, You call them up. You get that off your house. you got to pay a little money. I would get it off. You can stop using Wi-Fi in your house. And if you can't hardwire things in to do it that way, at least turn it off at night. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least you're not. You keep all those cell phones, iPads, everything out of your bedroom. Now again, they're still going to be traveling, and your neighbors. You know, I would also recommend I would not want to be living in a, an apartment or a high rise because you're just being bombarded by everybody else's signals around you. That your your radio frequency soup is going to be worse. Um, but keeping all the devices away, get them out of your nightstand. Get as many elect no laptops, computers, TVs in your bedroom. Turn everything off. Turn off the Wi-Fi router. It uh, you can go as far as. Getting a Faraday cage, you know, for your bed. You can buy these kind of expensive tents. I would say, you know, research and buyers beware on that. I don't actually own one of those. Um, there are different devices that are attempting to quiet down the radio frequencies and keep you in a calmer state. I sleep on a device that's attempting to do that. Um, it, it, consciousness around this, though, I think, is important mm-hmm. and. T- taking these devices off your body, not setting them, you know, on your heart or keeping. I keep things away and off of you as much as possible. Um, that's you know a, a basic way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but choosing to do less. I don't. I would. I never put those Bluetooth things in my ear, and it's never going to happen. I try to protect. I, I'm aware of what frequencies are getting into my brain as mm-hmm. much as I can. I don't hold a phone up to my head. If I'm going to talk on it, it's going to be on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. Um these are little things they're not everything but it's a start. Um dealing with light, you know the lack of sunlight and the looking at artificial lighting. You can start making lighting changes. You can you know it's getting out in the morning sun in that first hour of sunrise isn't going to be the total answer to everything but it's a it's a hell of a first start. Yeah. That totally free and just requires a behavioral change. So some is just step one awareness. You know, I am begging parents to take these devices out of their children's hands. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no reason to me for anybody over under five to ever be touching a a phone or a tablet or a computer. You have your rare exception with your severe autism spectrum where they have no way of communicating, right, Mm -hmm. besides learning to type things out. Um, but some awareness that you are paying a severe biological price for the convenience of your technology.
0: Yeah, well, I want to get into that in a second. But what device do you sleep on? Do you know the name of it?
1: Yeah, I sleep on an earth pulse. Okay. It's on my website. I have some videos about it. Um, I sleep on that. It's a fascinating uh, device where it's a pulsed Um, EMF device and there's lots of controversy in this and I researched PEMP for a very very long time and I uh, decided to go with it it's it's based on the Schumann resonance uh, that the earth and the ionosphere creating of 7.83 hertz and the terrestrial uh, EMF that the earth land gives off of uh, 9.6 and I sleep on it typically at 9.6 all night so It's a small magnet, you can get one or two and it's under my mattress and I put it, I, uh, 90% of the time I'm on 9.6 Hertz and I'm using that um, because it is the pulse that the earth gives off. So if I was tribal again, and if I was living the way we were designed to live by touching the earth and sleeping on the earth and being a part of the earth um, as many people are still doing in these secluded places that these final places that are left in the world, I'm being bathed in 9.6. I'm being entrained in that 9.6 and or 7.83 that Schumann resonance from, you know, all the electrical lightning storms that are happening in the ionosphere. That's very, very low. Understand, see how that's under 10 Hertz, which is an alpha brainwave, mm-hmm. right? Which is that deep presence, meditative you know, just, just being the power of now, that's alpha. Um, It's also outrageously powerfully healing to be in the alpha state, but that's not what any of your devices are doing. You're just the electric, just for an example, I mean, the electricity in your house is is 60 Hertz
2: Mm.
1: and you're being surrounded and bathed in 60 Hertz. Now, ironically, we seem to be able to handle that pretty well. Our bodies seem to not be outrageously damaged with the 60 Hertz, but those that The house is 60 hertz. You should, you know, just look up, uh, you don't have them all memorized, but what cell phones and laptops and Wi-Fi routers and light bulbs and halogen and LED and what, how many hertz those are actually giving off. It's an outrageous number. And these are bombarding you from not only inside your house, but from outside your house as well. And now with 5G, you're looking at towers being put in every 10 to 12 houses. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be very hard to escape, and if you're in more compacted cities, so just to give you an idea, it kind of it helps. That frequency is designed to uh, it was it's chosen from research studies that rebuild my mitochondria and, and increase my ability to uh, have metabolic function, increase my ability to you know run electrons through my mitochondria into oxygen, so my metabolism is better, my recovery is better. Um, my mitochondria are healed. Uh, I sleep deeper, and it's entraining my brain into that lower frequency. So, racing thoughts and the high frequency. So, it kind of tries to drown out the very high frequencies of non native EMF that are bombarding my bedroom.
0: Okay. Yeah, I want to yeah. look into that and try it
1: out. <laughs> I'll send you a link if you want. Yeah, I, I I've been I've been sending – they have a – they sell it as a sleep machine. And they, okay. they offer a 90-day money back. And actually I have a code for like free shipping. i, I got to look it up. I think it's Rimka actually. I'll tell you right now. I think if people go to my <laughs> website and I'll tell you you can get free shipping like say 50 bucks. Mm-hmm.
0: But they have a 90-day money back guarantee. Okay. Yeah. I mean I need to check that it. out. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's worth it, right? It's like – I mean what mm-hmm. t- again, I feel like people don't talk about it because people feel like what can I do, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's awesome. But we it's need great, awareness.
1: Yeah. Step one is that. It's like, okay, and I, I have to be careful. I don't overwhelm and freak people out. Sometimes I'll do a post and they're like, oh, my God, what should I do? I'm like, it's going to be fine, Mama. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I usually don't tell you something unless I have a solution. Um, <laughs> and I try to find solutions in multiple price points. Yeah, You know, my patients come to me. And they may have already spent eighty thousand a hundred thousand on this journey for us say, a child with autism or with their own chronic fatigue or Lyme and they're they're broke down and tired and and maybe a little bit broke and don't know what else to do and by the time they get to people like me, you know I'm their fifth or twentieth stop. Mm-hmm. You know it would be great if we got you know when you get to somebody they, they come to you first, it's so much easier, right, yeah. But So I try to be aware of that, just watching my uh, sister's journey with my nephew and, and how truly expensive. And I do think it's worth every penny, but I do know the investment, the financial investment is intense. And I try to be aware of that. And I try to look for things um, in the market that you know are safe. An effective inner mm-hmm. of high quality. And sometimes you can find a product and you go, well, it's 7,000 and yep, that thing is awesome. But yeah. I'm telling you, this $2,000 version is exactly the same or sometimes this thing is better. Mm-hmm. You know, so you find something that's a $1,200 device, I'm like, I got a, this $200 device that comes out of this other country is the exact same thing. But because they chose to not go through FDA approval mm-hmm. and stay under the radar, it's affordable. Yeah. So I work really hard to try to find and that earth pulse is very affordable. They run from 600 to 1200, depending on how strong you get it very, very affordable in the world of pimp.
0: Okay. Well, I'll definitely have to check that out. And I did want to kind of circle back to your, your nephew's journey and just touch on autism for a second, mm-hmm. um, because I, that's another topic I haven't brought up on the show. And I know you've done a lot of research on this and work with this, um, and very controversial with root cause there. Um, And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your approach with autism.
1: Well, a saying we like to say is, once you've seen one autism, you know, one autistic brain, you've seen one autistic brain. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And every time one comes in, you're starting all over from scratch. Even though we do have some biomarkers that we expect to see. We do have some things I'm like, well, if I don't see that, it's not really autism. So obviously sometimes people come in with that diagnosis and it's actually not. And we're like, hang on, something's not right. So we gotta look further, which I think is really important people get a proper diagnosis because if you're told it's that but it turns out it's actually PANDAS, you have to approach that very differently. So they, Sometimes there's a little bit of misdiagnosis, let me say that. You have to know what it is. But they are very, very different brains. You have to approach it all really differently. Um, root cause to me doesn't matter as much. It kind of does, but I don't, I don't want to get into that conversation right now at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very multi-causal, and therefore we have to go multidisciplinary to effect. You must deal with the gut, um, and you must, to, for me, at a bare minimum, someone needs to be dealing with the gut and they need to be dealing with the brain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And part of that is a, the, the third piece is definitely detoxification. So inherently that body has very sensitive and broken detoxification pathways. That's why it became autistic. There was a neurotoxic event so strong the brain could not recover from it. Mm. Um, and it even let it happen in the first place. So you can have a body that in another bot, just like, you know, you can have a hundred people on a plane and somebody has the flu and only five people are going to get it.
0: Yeah.
1: The other 95 are not, right? Just because you're exposed to some event doesn't mean you are going to be damaged in it or catch it or whatever, right? Yeah. So there's that to consider. I personally feel I have to consider also the spiritual aspect of autism and looking at the frequency of um kind of the sole purpose of that individual and that soul choosing to be here in this body at this time enduring often what they're enduring and the frequency of of i look at that kind of stuff i, I mean i've been talking about frequencies of electromagnetic fields i've been talking about brainwave frequencies i've just talked about a pemp frequency device everything is frequency to me Um, and a a human in front of me is just simply a slowed down frequency enough that I can see it like matter. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really an energy and it, we often call that spirit or soul or something, you know, we have different terms. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. And I like to see the, um, spiritual story of, of that soul that's sitting before me. And I think often with children, they can relate to me so well, like children on the spectrum because I can just sit and be with them. And I usually just talk to them with with pictures in my mind. I just, I choose, I get that a lot of them just see that way or talk that way. And so I do it and I let them know, like, you are my teacher, you are my Buddha. I need you to tell me what you need. Mm -hmm. And I let them, like, I don't want to do unto them. I want to help be the guide for them to, for for me to, even though I might know all this cognitive stuff, they often are just looking for a way to communicate what they're feeling and they don't even know how to describe it in human words. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes I think they're resonating um, far more evolved than I am and they know way more than me. So I say, here's the thing. I'm just, just call me whatever you want to call me and uh, tell, you know, and I get on the floor and try to let them lead me to tell me what I need to know that they need.
0: So when did you start to realize that that spiritual aspect was so important?
1: Um, you know, I think in a way I've probably known my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, in practice, you know, I probably knew it all, even in school. It just became, I think children with autism really showed it to me. They just showed me. Mm -hmm. They just made it very obvious. Um, because, when they would do things or touch me or you'd watch them. And I mean, they just brought us, they move through you. That's all I can explain. Their souls talk to you in such a way that your body feels it and you know it and you cry and you get chills and it's, it's powerful. Um, you know, I just did a lot of training, you know, Christine. I don't know, It's a really good question. I don't know the journey. I've taken just lots of courses and studied under all these different spiritual disciplines and leaders and got trained in my own intuitive skills and empathic skills and pranic healing and esoteric and soul focused healing and all these other, all these other modalities. Um, but they just make it seem really obvious to me that there's perhaps some type of new evolutionary transition that they're here to show us mm-hmm. and we're just too stupid to understand it.
0: I mean, I'm behind you on that. Um have you always been very intuitive or is that something that developed over time through studying? Um I wouldn't have
1: known as a kid to call it that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, I would have been like, what are you talking about? And everybody would have seen me more. Nobody would have probably described me that way. Cause I was more of a strong, hard ass, tough. Um, my winning formula as a child was kind of domination through <laughs> cognitive or athletic performance. And, but I was always very sensitive. I just knew things and I didn't understand why everybody else didn't know what I knew. Mm-hmm. I'm like, What are you talking about? And my brothers would say things. Well, who told you that? I'm like, well, nobody told me. Isn't it obvious? Like, I would just know exactly what's going on before it went on. And uh, and then, of course, I was trained. I was I, I trained. I was hired. I hired people. I trained them. And it took some of the people I was seeing, the coaches, mentors, empath, intuitive therapists, whatever, to stop me. In my 20s is about when it happened, and they said, stop. You like you need to stop. I'm like, what? They go, this is going to kill you if you we don't train you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they go, yeah, they go. And it's from their own experience of like, I ended up with cancer. I ended up with this. I ended up with migraines. You, you do what we do. And I'm like, no, I don't No, I, what are you talking about? Right. I didn't think I, I didn't, I just didn't get it. I totally get it now. They're like, your body's telling everything, everything, you know? So I feel everything through my body. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, Used to lead to a tremendous amount of pain and suffering and problems I'd be feeling because I couldn't differentiate my my stuff from their stuff mm-hmm. self and so that's where most of the training happened is well as soon as you can know thyself, you are no longer affected by what's around you.
0: Yeah, I, God, I relate to this so much. Um, this might seem like a strange transition, but it's okay it it makes sense to me because I'm curious how that sense of intuition and spiritual growth, um, might have, might be tied with your, the carnivore diet?
1: (laughs) Oh, I think it's huge. Uh, I think it's a huge part of,
0: um, how
1: easily brainwashed I was, how susceptible I was and how easily I was kind of brought into kind of cultish thinking before. And I didn't realize it. Um, So (laughs) this is really fascinating, because had you asked me this question 15 years ago, I would have said something totally different. So I was a vegetarian for 14 years Mm. and vegan for 12. And that was for completely spiritual reasons. That was my primary driver. Now, the benefits of saying, well, it's healthy and it's good for me, all of that was a bonus. Um, And as I got sicker and sicker and and suffered more, actually almost became like, well, see that's good because spiritual suffering is good. Mm. And even though I wouldn't have said it that way, it's it's very big in the community. And I hung out with a whole bunch of vegetarians and a whole bunch of vegans and we were all the same in that belief. And looking at myself now, and now that you know, I stopped being a vegetarian, um, Actually, it actually turned out it was six months before I got pregnant. They told me I couldn't get pregnant and I go all this hormone problems. So I started eating meat again. And six months later, I kind of got pregnant and I'm like, I thought this couldn't happen. They're like, well, it happened. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was kind of like paleo uh, for years and then low carb and then keto for years. And then I switched to the carnivore, eh, maybe I'm 14 months or 15 months or something like that at this point. And, I didn't really understand it with low carb or keto. I really feel it very differently now. I feel more spiritual and more connected um, than I ever have. And I'll say it like this. Part of the transition of what went through my mind to be able to go from vegan to eating meat again for the first time was I was actually... I remembered, I was on a mission trip, I went did a few mission trips with doctors to do healthcare and um, other countries. And I was in Brazil. And this was when I was a student. And it was one of the moments I had to eat meat, and I had to break the vegan thing. So there's 21 doctors, and there was f- four of us on this one, one place, so you go all day and you just, you know, I took I saw like 350 patients that day or something. And you have lunch at somebody's house so somebody from the church we were working in a church and so somebody volunteers every day to feed the doctors and we go to have lunch and you know you see them cooking very poor I can't even describe to you uh, you know there was actually a ri- there was actually a canal running through and it was written something where they it was called the river of death and there was just filth everywhere animals everywhere you know you know, like 10 people living in a one bedroom little place. It was very, very poor. So we were already feeling really guilty, like that they're cooking for us. And I mean, they are not playing. This is like a banquet here, you know, like for like a holiday, like it was big deal and they made the table and some homes, families wouldn't even eat with us. We're like, no, 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 they need to eat. It was very bizarre kind of for the, for us, for the docs. Well, I remember this, the very first one, there was four, there was, Two women and two men, docs, and we're sitting at the table. And my friend Jody, she looks and she said to everybody in English, So, who else here is a vegetarian? And three of us, right, like, you know, we're like, Uh huh. And only one guy wasn't. And Skylar just said, Well, you know, I am, but I'm not today. And we're like, Right. I'm like, I- I'm just going to eat whatever's put in front of me and say thank you. Mm-hmm. Right? Obrigada, obrigada, obrigada. Over and over again. And I remember going to the bathroom kind of to compose myself because I was very nervous about this and like, breaking my vegan vows to myself and animals and all this stuff. And I just, it was like this moment, of, it, I really did feel it was a voice of God that came into me and said, would you ever, uh, you know, are you, would, ever, would you ever shame the lion for killing the gazelle? Mm. Like, what, what is the matter with you? And it just was like, oh, okay. And I just did it. And I have to tell you, that first trip, it was 10 days down there, and I ate, and everybody knew it was a vegan for years, and they were all nervous about me eating stuff. I ate so much meat, because they just kept, and after a while, when they said ox heart and fish sperm, I was like, I don't want to know anymore. And they would always get a joke out of it, the trans, they'd laugh, and it was kind of cute that the lady didn't want to know what she was eating, you know, the silly woman. Um, but I was okay with it. I felt amazing, and it was an odd thing because I'm like, no, I don't hurt at all. I feel actually great. And doctors were dropping left and right around me in pain. I'm like, I could go all day, right? So I say, as to say, it was years later, and I had a couple of those experiences. It was years later that when I started eating, you know, studying this more and more ancestral primal uh, things when I learned, you know, indigenous tribes and uh, aboriginal cultures and going, well, they're all meat eaters. Ever, it was a, And they're we consider them the most spiritual tribes on earth. You know, we're all looking to the Native Americans and the Aborigines and the Mayans and the Inuits, you know, for their spiritual wisdom. And yet, this is what they did. You know, we we don't think there's anything less spiritual for them about it. And I really started to look at the energy of transmuting the life force of uh, another mammal into my mammal body and what that was doing, what was the energy and the frequency of that. And I saw it, And felt it very powerfully Um, and I had very very different opinions about hunters and hunting and I was I was very superior and I was a just your classic kind of vegetarian and that thought they were kind of barbaric um, violent horrible people like why would you want to kill anything I could never kill a deer Mm -hmm. right I had these very distorted views when I look at it now and I know hunters and when I talk with them, I've never been myself. I have not crossed that line, but I'm actually really considering that I, I'm going to, even though it sounds extremely hard for me. I think it's important. I learned to do it um, in honor of the life and, and the work that goes into this for me to eat and me to stay strong and healthy. Um, they're incredibly connected to nature. Mm-hmm. Hunters are more connected to nature and the spiritual. Part of nature than any vegetarian or any just regular grocery store shopper I've ever met, and I didn't understand that that they go out and they actually immerse themselves in the natural setting. They don't. They don't go there the way we go camping. They actually become a part of the forest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they become invisible to it. And they listen to it and they wait, and they know. Um, uh, what's it called? The restraint. So they don't just shoot anything that comes by. They have to age that animal. They have to know what sex it is, how old is it, how many in a season. It's a lot of restraint and control and quiet and focus and usually just quiet connection to nature outside of actually getting meat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I have a very different feeling and understanding about it. I feel much more spiritually connected to myself as a human being. And I think a human is a spiritual and I'm a spiritual entity by being living more of a human way, eating more of a human way.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. This is something that I kind of went back and forth with, like, as I mean, I was just opening up a lot more and was told by some spiritual teachers, you know, like if you're eating animal products, their thoughts are going to cloud your own when you eat them. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, but you know, I've been, I, I've like gone back and forth with carnivore, but I've been carnivore the last like two months and I've been like, my intuition is exploding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You'll find your, your higher self. You'll hear things better. Your boundaries are way better. And I think it's a major issue for women, um, to, to, have clear boundaries and just set them up from the get go. Courage goes up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, people take you know a lot less advantage of you. And when you feel safe and well, bounded, of course you can be connected to your intuition, your higher self, mm-hmm. your empathy and compassion levels completely change. Um, I'm a way uh, kinder, more compassionate person as a carnivore than I ever was as a vegetarian. Interesting. Yeah. Vegetarians, I'll tell you. Like in general, I mean, they can say they can hate me, and the show's going to come. There's a lot of you see the world as dark, dangerous, awful. People are horrible. People are cruel. People are you know, it's it's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of rage, Mm -hmm. and um, that happens from a uh, starved brain that's emotion that's unstable. That's actually functionally unstable. It leads to erratic. Uh, aggressive type of speech, violent behavior, um, a very satiated brain on animal products um, is very different. And let me just say this about the spiritual teachers saying all that, right? So there's been a lot of, um, you know, dogma from religion that have infiltrated spiritual teachings that are not true. And there's a lot of, you know, it's a really fascinating, um, I can't recall it I can't take the details, but if you look at the history of like even to say India, um, and how the no meat kind of part of it happened, there's a lot of political reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And the rise and fall of India actually be seen in terms of when colonialism has come in and taken them over is when they were shifting to going from meat eating to non-meat eating was based on that. And when people shift from this non meat eating thing from a lot of different political reasons where the religion is used, tied in with the government for a goal, mm-hmm. uh, to get people off of something to make them weaker and easier to control, um, that these countries were overtaken by colonial empires because mm-hmm. they were
0: weak. Yeah. A lot of history goes into that, but so yeah. in terms of, um, in terms of the nutritional the nutritional side of things, so why carnivore versus um, like a, a paleo diet, like a traditional paleo diet that includes vegetables?
1: Well, so I think everybody can, you know, make their choice. I'm not some huge dogmatist. I do think there's a lot of mistakes that are going on with the common paleo diet or the common keto diet.
0: Um, so what people want to call a
1: paleo diet right now.
0: All right, you guys, we are going to pause this conversation for now and pick it back up. Next episode where we are going to talk all about nutrition, carnivore diet, nutrition for women specifically. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And you're going to love it. So make sure you tune back in next episode to get the rest of this conversation with Dr. Stephanie Rimka. In the meantime, you can connect more with her at brainandbodyrevolution.org at brainandbodysolutions.com and and on Instagram at dr underscore rimka r-i-m-k-a and say hi to her there let her know if you enjoyed this if you did enjoy this episode make sure you share it send it to a friend, family member, anyone who you think would find it interesting. And if you want to, I would love it if you share it on social media, make sure you tag Dr. Rimka, tag me, tag Wellness Realness Podcast, and I can say thank you for showing the love. And as always, make sure you leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you haven't already to show your support. And I would love to have you in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, where you can connect other listeners. That's it for today. Make sure you listen to the next episode for the rest of this conversation. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. I will chat with you again next time. Bye.